Section 25 of the South American Republics, Volume 1, by Thomas Cleland Dawson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Piotr Natter. Part 4. Brazil. Chapter 2. Discovery. On the 9th of March, 1500, Pedro Alvarez Cabral, a Portuguese nobleman of illustrious birth, but not yet distinguished by any notable feats in war or seamanship, sailed from Lisbon for the East Indies. This expedition was sent out to continue the work begun by Vasco da Gama in the first all-sea voyage to India. It was an advance guard for the larger armament that two years later founded the Portuguese empire on the coasts of India. Vasco da Gama himself wrote Cabral's sailing orders. The latter was instructed, after passing the Cape Verde Islands in 14 degrees south, to sail directly south, as long as the wind was favorable. If forced to change his course, he was ordered to keep on the starboard tack, even though it led him southwest. When he reached the latitude of the Cape of Good Hope, 34 degrees south, he was to bear away to the east. These sailing instructions have been the subject of much discussion. Many believe that their sole purpose was to enable Cabral to avoid the Guinea calms, so annoying to sailing ships near the African coasts. Others contend that da Gama had seen signs of land to the west on his own voyage, and that its discovery was a real, though secondary, object of the expedition. In any event, the Brazilian coast is too near the natural route around Africa to have escaped encounter, and would infallibly have shortly been seen by someone else. Forty-two days after leaving Lisbon, Cabral's fleet saw unmistakable signs of land, being then in latitude 17 degrees south and longitude 36 degrees west. From Cape Verde Islands, just off the western points of Africa, he had made 2,300 miles and had come 500 miles to the west. The next day a mountain was sighted, which he called Pascoal, because it was Easter week. This mountain is in the southern part of the state of Bahia, about 400 miles northeast of Rio, and on a coast that to this day is sparsely inhabited and rarely visited. The following day the whole fleet came to an anchor a mile and a half from the shore, and just north of the dangerous Abroyos reefs. This was the 23rd of April, old style, which corresponds with the 3rd of May in the Gregorian calendar. The date is a national holiday in Brazil, and the anniversary for the annual convening of Congress. Because no quadrupeds or large rivers were seen, Cabral thought he had discovered an island, and named it the Island of the True Cross. The name has not survived except in poetry. He stopped ten days on the coast, took formal possession, and sent expeditions on shore, which entered into communication with the Indians, who were seen in considerable numbers. It is characteristic that the first question asked of the Indians was if they knew what gold and silver were. They were peaceable and friendly, and the old chronicle describes them as of dark reddish complexion with good features and muscular, well-shaped bodies. They wore no clothes, their lower lips and cheeks were perforated to carry great ornaments of white bone, and their hair was elaborately dressed and adorned with feathers. These were fair specimens of the Tupi-Guaranis, the largest of the four great families into which the Brazilian aborigines have been classified. The others are the Caribs, the Arawaks, and the Botacudos. There are also traces of tribes which inhabited the country remote centuries ago. In caves in Minas Gerais, 
skeletons have been found remarkably like those of the earliest europeans the theory is that those indians came from europe by land in that remote geological epoch when scandinavia was joined to greenland later came mongoloids probably by way of the bering strait who appear largely to have exterminated their european predecessors and to have been the ancestors of the modern indians when america was discovered the four great families were spread in scattering and widely differing tribes over the whole of brazil and the adjacent countries their state of culture varied from that of the most squalid tribes of botacudos who had not even reached the stone age lived in brush shelters slept in the ashes of their fires practised promiscuous marriage and had no idea of religion except a fear of malignant spirits up to arawaks who were cleanly had a well-defined tribal organization and built marvellous canoes or tupis who cultivated the soil built fair houses used rude machinery for making mandioc flour spun cotton wove cloth and were good potters but the civilization of the best of them was stationary no brazilian tribe ever got beyond the condition where the struggle to obtain food was its sole preoccupation no civilization like that of mexico peru or yucatan ever existed disaggregation failure and obliteration were the rule organically unfitted to cope with their surroundings they never devised a method of getting a good and permanent food supply defective nutrition sapped their powers to resist strains their muscular appearance was not accompanied by corresponding endurance their european taskmasters could never understand why they died from the effects of exertion to which a white man would easily have been equal the vast majority had no regular agriculture and lived on the spontaneous products of the forests and the streams land game is not abundant in the tropics and they had developed only few good food plants what they did procure was spoiled by bad preparation such a people had no chance of successfully resisting the portuguese invaders and their only hope of survival was in contact and admixture with the more vigorous white and black races the tupi guaranis occupied one-fourth of brazil all of paraguay and uruguay and much of bolivia and the argentine and it is probable that the original seeds of this family were in the central table-lands or in paraguay all tupi indians spoke dialects of one language which the jesuit missionaries soon reduced to grammatical and literary form and which became a lingua franca that was understood from the plate to the amazon back of the coast tupis were the botacudos the most degraded and intractable of brazilian savages remnants of whom still survive in their original seats in espiritu santo minas and sao paulo the caribs with whom students of the history of the caribbean sea are familiar originated in the plains of the goyas and mato grosso and emigrated as far north as the antilles the arawaks were most numerous in guiana and on the lower amazon but were also spread over central brazil the brazilian indians did not survive the white man's coming to as large an extent as in spanish america the pure indian is found in brazil only in regions where the white man has not thought it worth while to take possession and the proportion of indian blood is much smaller than in surrounding countries in many localities evidences of indian descent are so rare as to be remarkable cabral's voyage was the real discovery of brazil if we consider historical and political consequences 
It was the first reported to Europe, and the Portuguese crown immediately made formal claim to the territory. But, as a matter of fact, land which today is part of Brazil territory had been seen by Europeans before Cabral landed. In January 1500, Vicente Yanez Pinzon, who had commanded the Niña on the first voyage of Columbus, saw land in the neighborhood of Cape Sauroque. Bound westward, he bore away to the west and north, following the prevailing winds and currents as far as the Orange Cape, the present extreme northern limits of Brazil. He was, therefore, the discoverer of the great estuary which forms the mouth of the Amazon. He named it the Freshwater Sea, because the great river freshens the open ocean far out of sight of land, but he did not ascend nor even see the river proper. It is also claimed, on good evidence, that six months before Pinzon, another Spanish navigator, Alonso de Ojeda, accompanied by Amerigo Vespucci, had made the South American coast not far from Cape Sauroque, and that a month later still another, Diego de Lepe, did the same. None of these Spanish voyages produced any results. They were not reported until after the news of Cabral's discovery had been solemnly promulgated to the courts of Europe, and were soon forgotten. The honor of making Brazil known to Europe belongs to Cabral just as certainly as that of discovering America does to Columbus. The Spanish voyages are interesting to antiquarians, but neither they nor the Norwegian voyages of the 11th century were followed up or produced any permanent results. The news reached Portugal in the fall of 1500, and no time was lost in sending out a small fleet to ascertain definitely the extent, value, and resources of the region. The Portuguese hoped to find a wealthy and civilized population like that of India, rich and unwarlike nations, such as the Spaniards, did encounter a few years later in Peru and Mexico. The exploring expedition was under the command of Amerigo Vespucci, the greatest technical navigator of the age. He shaped his course so as to keep to the windward and south of the redoubtable promontory of San Roque, which the clumsy ships of that day could not weather in the teeth of the trade winds and the equatorial current, and, turning to the south, made a systematic examination of the coast nearly as far as the river plate, employing five months in the task. In naming the rivers, capes, and harbors, he saved his inventive faculty and gratified the popular religious sentiment by calling each one by the name of the saint on whose anniversary it was reached. Most of these names have survived. For example, the San Francisco, the largest river between the Amazon and the Plate, is so called because Vespucci reached it on October the 1st, 1501, which date is sacred to St. Francis in the Roman calendar. Rio de Janeiro is so named because he saw the Great Bay, whose entrance is narrower than many rivers, on New Year's Day, 1501. He coasted along for 2,000 miles, looking eagerly for gold, silver, spices, and civilized inhabitants. He was disappointed. The only thing found which seemed to have an immediate market value was Brazil wood, a dye wood that had been used in Europe for centuries and was in great demand. Its color was a bright red, hence its name, which means wood the color of fire. It was found in such abundance that the world's supply has since been drawn from this coast, and among sailors and merchants the country soon became known as the country of Brazil wood. The name almost immediately supplanted Santa Cruz. 
Vespucci saw that the country was fertile and the climate pleasant. This was not enough to satisfy his greedy employers. A government whose coffers were beginning to overflow with the profits of the Indian spice trade and the African mines was not inclined to pay much attention to a region without the precious metals and inhabited only by naked savages. The reports of the abundance of Brazil wood, however, induced private adventurers to go and cut that valuable commodity. The government declared it a Portuguese monopoly, but the high price of the article made the trade so enormously profitable that ships of other nationalities, especially French, could not be excluded. The coast soon became well known, but the Portuguese government did not extend its explorations to the south. It was left to the Spaniards to find the passage into the Pacific Ocean and to explore the tributaries of the plate. The southern extension of the continent became and remains Spanish. No exact records exist of the earliest Portuguese explorations of the northern coast from Cape Saoroque to the mouth of the Amazon. We only know that some Portuguese ships navigated those waters and that Spain never seriously disputed Portugal's title to that region. For thirty years Brazil remained unsettled, although the fleets going to the East Indies often stopped in its admirable harbours to refit and take water. Private adventurers came for Brazil wood, and the French poached more and more frequently. Soon the latter began to establish little factories, to which they returned year after year, and got on good terms with the aborigines. It became evident that Portugal must establish fortified, self-sustaining posts if she expected to retain the territory. End of section 25